Good morning, my name is Oakley Crouch and I'll be reading the scripture reading today. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4:23. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. I like that one. She's, she's all right. Uh, hey, good morning. My name is Dallas. I'm one of the leaders here. Uh, if I haven't met you, I really would love the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better, especially if you're a guest this morning. And I got just a couple things I want to say before we get into the message. Number one, if you are a guest this morning, you should know that there is room for you here. We've got uh, chairs we've added on the side of the stage. We can do dozens of chairs in the balcony. There is room for you. So I don't want you to feel like there's not because there is room for you here. And I also want to tell you a little bit about this weekend. And I want to tell you a little bit about it because, one, I want it to be baked in that you guys understand that I don't have much sleep I'm operating with. So if you could, you know, just give me a little grace for any kind of grumpiness. If I yell at you, you should know I don't normally yell at you, right? So you should know it's sleep-induced, right? Or, you know, grumpy or incoherent. All those things are because of lack of sleep. I just want to be clear about that. But no, it was a, a great, great weekend. Lots of men coming humbly before the Lord and just asking Him to work, asking Him to do what He does, to say, we know that there's things that we just can't do as men, and that's hard for us to admit sometimes as men, right? But just coming before the Lord and just saying, God, it's got to be you. You're, you're the warrior. You're the one who fights battles on our behalf. And so we came together, spent some time together. It was a very, very powerful weekend, and we're hoping that just like with the youth retreat, that, that God continues this momentum that he started there, you know, in our everyday lives. And so that was this weekend. Now, we're in the third week of our series called Renovate, where we're looking at this command that Jesus said was the most important command, and we figure if Jesus said it was most important, we probably ought to spend adequate time there. So what we did the first week is we kind of overviewed the series of what we're looking at, where we're headed. And then last week, we talked about the question, what is the mind, and how can we form the mind under love of God in all that we do? And we talked about you know, there's a battle going on for our minds, and the enemy can't really win in reality anymore at this point. He has been defeated, but he can distort some things in our minds, and that's why everything that we pay attention to is very important, right? We got we to gotta understand that the mind works not just in the conscious, but also in the unconscious, so everything that we pay attention to, that's really important. We talked about how we've got to pay attention to what we pay attention to because that thought, that thing that we pay attention to gets banked into our brains and starts to change the structures and functions and, and the rewiring and all that to what we believe and what we have faith in and what we have confidence in and all these things. So the mind is extremely, extremely important. And this week we're going to talk about the heart. And we talked last week about how the mind is energy. And the heart is formed. Think about if the mind is energy, the heart is the life structure that's being formed by the things that we think about, by that energy. Now, we have a default as humans. We have a very wicked heart as humans by default. We didn't do anything, you know, in terms of like because we thought about certain things, now we've become wicked. No, we, uh, we have wickedness in us, but then 
by the things that we think about, it either gets reinforced or we go a different direction. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, The heart, let's define it before we move forward. The heart essentially is the center of our entire being. It's the control center of the self. It's what everything else flows from. The heart forms everything else in our being. Essentially, the heart is who we are. I mean, bottom line, the heart is who we are, the thing that makes everything else go. And the scriptures often talk about the heart as our passions and our desires, the things that motivate us, the things that kind of flow out of us come from the heart. And before we move forward, we're going to want to note that it's important that when we refer to the heart, we go much deeper than just the feeling as we talk about that, because that's really important. You see, people uh, make the heart... In the feeling synonymous in our culture today, and I think that's a big mistake. Uh, so let's define what we mean by feeling before we move forward. Feeling is a more conscious expression that represents realities that are much deeper within us. So this morning we're going to want to focus on the condition of the heart or the root or the source of where some of those things can be manifested. And I think that's really, really important. And I think that's where our culture has really fallen short And just like we talked about in week one where, you know, the body gets the most attention because it's the thing that's most visible, it's the thing we can measure, it's the the outcome, right? We can just see it very easily. And in the same way, the feeling gets the attention because we can sort of feel it, right? We can see it, we can measure it, and so we start to really focus on the feeling. But the problem is that when we focus on the feeling, we miss the bigger picture, often. And so think about like if somebody has a very bad physical issue in their brain and they start getting headaches, that headache can really tell them that something's going on. But you wouldn't want to just take headache medicine and keep going on with your life, would you? Because there's something big happening underneath that that we've really got to get to the root of otherwise things continue to get worse and worse and worse and I think as a culture as humans we would often rather settle for alleviating the symptoms instead of eradicating the disease and Jesus wants to come in and eradicate the disease Jeremiah 17 talks about man how the how the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked And that's why Jesus wants to get in there. He wants to get into the condition. He wants to get into the root, straight to the source. Not just the feeling of pain, but to get in there all the way back. The thing that motivates us, the thing that drives us, the thing that, that makes things flow out of us. That's what he wants to get to. And the flip side is also true. Instead of just focusing on feeling happy in moments... He wants to bring completeness to our lives. He wants to bring wholeness to our lives. So how can we focus on something so much bigger than just the feeling? See, feelings got to be instructed and subordinated based on a larger condition. And now that's offensive to the world today because we live in a Philippians 3 world that says, do what you feel, follow your feelings. Wherever that leads you, that's okay. Paul says this in Philippians 3.19. He says, those who think like that, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. 
their mind is set on earthly things. Guys, I think our, especially our young people are being debilitated by this mentality that says, whatever your impulse is, whatever your natural inclination, whatever it is that you're feeling, just go ahead and give in to those things and everything will be fine. But here's the problem. When you just do what you feel, there's no need for self-control, right? Because if you're just doing what you feel, then self-control is irrelevant because <laughs> you don't have to go against anything in that moment. But self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Things like perseverance, where does that come into play? Things like discipline, things that, that move us forward where we trust beyond what we feel in that moment, and certainly things like taking up your own cross. I don't know if anybody ever feels like taking up their cross, but because we trust Jesus and we know that there's life found in his name, we go against our natural impulses and we just trust, and we just say, yes, Jesus, and then he changes the heart. I think some of the biggest issues that we're facing in our culture today is this mentality just do what you feel. It's debilitating. It's debilitating. And Paul would say their end is destruction. Why? Because it's really self-defeating, isn't it? Because you give in to what you feel right now. A year from now, you probably aren't even interested in that thing that you were feeling then. And it happens over and over. I know for me, five years ago, ten years ago, are not the same things that I feel today. And that's why we've got to be anchored. We've got to get to the root. We've got to get to the condition. We've got to get to the source. And now, I don't want to be too hard on feelings this morning, okay? <laughs> In its best form, feelings can be very, very helpful for us. They can help us to move to action. They can help us to mourn with people. They can also serve as, like we talked about before, warning signs to what's going on deeper in our heart. Feelings can be very, very good helpers. The problem is they'll never, ever be good masters. Feelings always can be good helpers if they're instructed by God, but they never can be good masters. And that's what's so important. That's what's so important. Is, the, is it running things? Because if it is, then we're in big trouble. Take things like love, for instance. Sometimes the culture will say they want to experience love, but really what they're saying is they want to feel what it is to be in love. And what happens when you don't feel in love? That relationship's in big trouble. You got to replace it. You got to go to other relationships. You got to go outside of the marriage when, when it's about the feeling. We want to be rooted in something so much bigger. The irony is that that when we focus, when we make the feeling a master, we then, in fact, can't experience the things that are much deeper. Because if you're leaving whenever you're void of feeling, now you never can have perseverance in a relationship. Things like discipline, things like all these things that go so much deeper aren't on the table. Take peace, for instance, too. When we say that we want peace, really, often what we're saying is we want to feel peace. And if that's the case, it's very difficult to obtain peace because to have peace, sometimes that means very difficult conversations that don't actually feel peaceful in the moment. But if the focus is on the feeling, then we can't have those hard conversations because we just want to feel peace instead of actually 
having it. So again, our focus has to be on the condition. It has to be on the root, on the source, not the feeling itself. Even good things like compassion. Man, when we feel like empathy for somebody, that can be very, very helpful. We just don't want it to be contingent on that feeling. What happens when you don't feel that compassion? You hope that your action isn't tied to that feeling. You hope it's tied to something so much bigger. And that's really the point here. I noticed uh, last Sunday afternoon, and this is embarrassing, but, you know, it's, it's a good example, so I'm just going to share it anyway. But we were leaving lunch, and I noticed we were going to be about 15 minutes late. We were going to be, you know, the games... Football game started at 1, and we weren't going to get home till 1.15. And my precious little football games, you know, I was just going to miss about 15 minutes of it. So I, I catch myself starting to get frustrated. I'm in the van, and I start driving faster than I'm supposed to, you know, and I'm not paying attention to the family behind me and stuff like that. And, and I start to realize, you know, what's going on here. At least it took me a little while to actually realize and the temptation was, once I realized that, just to say, hey, there's no reason to get frustrated. It's just a game, right? And that's good short-term advice. It's just not long-term advice. What I had to look at was the reality that there was something bigger at play there. Why was I frustrated? Well, what it comes down to at the end of the day is I'm still the kind of person that at times... When I don't get what I want, I don't like it, and I can't deal with it. That's the source. That is the condition. That is the root of the problem, is I wanted what I wanted, and I didn't get it, so I was frustrated. And that formed the emotion in that moment, that formed the feeling, and it formed how I engaged my family right in that moment. But if I had been focused on love of my family, if that was the root, if I was really just focused on, you know what, I just, man, I want to, this is, what a good opportunity, just to love my family in the van, then that would have formed my feeling, and that would have formed my action thereafter. We have got to get to the root. If I just say, hey, don't get frustrated, then what we do is we continue to cycle the same issues over and over and over again. We got to get to the root, just like... If you ever had like a nasty weed in your yard, and you take that weed eater and you cut it, and then you go back five, six days later to do the lawn again or whenever you do it, and what happens? That weed has grown right back up. It has to be taken out at the root. It has to be taken out at the root. Otherwise, we're just managing symptoms while Jesus wants to eradicate the disease altogether. So important. So important. Get to the heart. James understood this when he wrote in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says this. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you do not get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that, may, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See that? He just goes straight to the heart. 
He doesn't say, hey, just don't get angry. Just don't get frustrated with your brothers and sisters and your friends and stuff like that. Don't get frustrated. Just, hey, stop that. Cut it out. No, he says, what causes these quarrels, these fights among you? What's within you? What's the root of it? What's the motive? And he says, it's our passions and desires that are selfish. That's our motive. That's very often our motive as humans. In fact, that's just the motive that we have when we're born. You ever seen a toddler? I mean, trying to figure out what power (laughs) that they have very quickly. And they're going to try to get that power. That's what's in us. And that's why the heart, the condition of the heart that is deceitful and wicked, that's why it has to be formed under the love of God so that we can get to the root of the problem. I don't know if you've ever uh, thought about it like this, but the Good Samaritan story is one that is a great example of this. Uh, Perhaps it's really deeper than we ever realized, but come with me to Luke chapter 10. Let's read starting in verse 30. Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by the other side. So you can bet in this moment, these two men have experienced some type of feeling when they see this man on the side of the road, right? Now, likely that feeling was fear because based on Numbers 19, if you came into contact with a dead body, you couldn't perform your job for a week. And so maybe they were fearing because this man was so badly injured, if I pick him up and I take him with me and I care for him, then maybe, you know, I I may not be able to do my job. And maybe there was a reputation issue there. Don't you know the scriptures? Don't you know what it says in Numbers 19? Don't you know you shouldn't have done that? Right? That kind of mentality. And you get to the root of that fear, and it's likely what I just said. Reputation was at stake. I'm thinking about what I desire. Maybe I'm thinking about my advancement. Maybe I'm thinking about people's perception of what happens if I take this step to help somebody here. That's the root of it. That's the root. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, some translations say he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense here. Now, the Good Samaritan is distinguished from the other two here, not because he felt an emotion when he saw the man, but because the condition of his heart in that moment was separated from the other two. Let's go back to what happens before this. Jesus gives us an example of what it looks like to love a neighbor. Let's go back to verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see that? So what, what happens is, it's not just in that moment, the good Samaritan decided to make a good decision. Now, there are times in your life that you could sort of fake something. If you know a big test is coming up, right, you may not be someone who studies in general, but because you know a test is coming up, you can start to cram Right? And you get ready for that test. So if Jesus said to these three men, hey, on Friday, there's going to be this big thing that's happening, and I, I want you to respond the right way. That's not what happens here. In fact, I think it's very important that it says, while they were traveling, essentially as if to say, while they're just going about their business, they stumble upon someone. And when that happens... What's in you comes out. You don't have time to prepare. You don't have time to cram. So what's inside of you comes out. The condition of the heart comes out in those moments. And so what Jesus is saying here is what formed him, what formed the good Samaritan here was love of his neighbor. He wasn't focused on his own desires or passions. He was focused on love of his neighbor, which formed his heart to be able to act in a certain way. That's so important. Because if we're not careful, we leave here and we say, oh, I just have to go and be more loving. And that's not enough. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everything comes from the heart. It comes from within. So everything has to be transformed for us. And he's saying, this good Samaritan... Yeah, like everything flowed out of love of his neighbor. It's so important for us. So the question is, and by the way, don't you find it a little pejorative that it's the good Samaritan? It's like it's, it's bad enough, I guess, to the Jewish people that Jesus uses a Samaritan here. So let's call it, well, maybe there's one good Samaritan, right? I just always found that funny. But what do we do here? What's, what's our next step? How do we form everything, the condition of our heart, under love of God and under love of people? Well, let's look at Matthew six nineteen through 21. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question is, really, where's our treasure? I mean, what are the things that we treasure? Because what we treasure will form our hearts. And out of everything... Out of our heart is where everything comes. So the question is, what do we treasure? And we hope it's Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, 
And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So the question is, is, is Jesus a means to something else or is Jesus the treasure? And I've and I got to tell you, there, there are a lot of people who have given their lives to Jesus the genie and not King Jesus. It's, Jesus, what can you do for me? It's, let me take this treasure into my own field. Let me bring Jesus into the things I'm already doing and he'll make my life better. Jesus is saying here, look, like you can come and you can ask God to intercede and we should ask him to do those things. But in terms of where our treasure is, it's not in him performing those duties. It's just him. He is everything. Jesus is our prize. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is our fine pearls. Jesus is everything. And the question is, this morning, is Jesus enough? I mean, is he enough? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure this morning? Man, I'd love for us to get to a point like David says in Psalm 119, 103. He says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Man, you ever thought about it like that? It's not just, I know, I know I just need to be you know, in the Word. And sometimes we've got to be like in that space, right? I mean, if everything's going this direction, we've got to just kind of continue in discipline and being in the Word. And there are times where that's just the case. But there also ought to be times where it's just, man, I just can't wait to spend time in the Word. Man, I just can't wait. I mean, I, man, I just, I just love you, Lord, of my life. I just You're so good, and I just really, everything in me just treasures you. You are my fine pearls. You are my treasure. You are my everything. And man, I'd love for us to be a church, guys. We can't modify behaviors enough to get where we need to go. And we should. There's discipline. There's things involved that we need to partake in to kind of move us forward. But really, at the end of the day, it it comes to where's our treasure, because out of that, everything will flow in us. And men, I'd love for us to get to a point where God says, yeah, he is a man after my own heart. Or ladies, she is a woman after my own heart. And with God's grace and him being our treasure, I really think he can inform some things in our lives and move us. Let's not settle for just the symptoms, when Jesus wants to eradicate the disease. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that time and time again, man, you just continue to inform us on some things of like what you really value through the scriptures. And thank you for these parables. Thank you for these stories. Thank you for these scriptures that really show us what it is that you desire for us. And not just from us, and yes, from us, but not just from us, but for us. Father, help us to be a people of praise of your name. 
And we just treasure you, man. We just, your, your words are just like honey to our lips, man. Our favorite ice cream, whatever, is like nothing compares to your words in our lives. Father, that's our prayer. We love you very much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, let's worship together. If you need to respond, come to the altar or someone to pray with. I'd love to do that with you. Otherwise, let's just worship together. Go from there.